Hello and welcome to the Discover Money Podcast. My name is Will and with me is Ben and we are two average people who have no formal financial training but have a huge passion for learning all things money. Each week we'll explore a new financial topic in hopes of better educating ourselves and hopefully you on how to stretch your dollar and set yourself up for a brighter future. Now let's get this started. Welcome back to episode number 14 of Discover Money, the top five things we wish we knew. But before we get into that, Ben, let's start with our weekly listener count update. This week, we had a little bit of drop in listeners, Ben, so we're hovering hovering in right at 12 listeners this week. But what is exciting, Ben, is we're up to 188 streams. So those 12 people who listened this week uh, must have listened to a lot of episodes because we're up 30 streams over the past week. So that's a silver lining right there. Ben, what do you say? I mean, it's a small but loyal army of Discover Money (laughs) listeners out there. So, you know, we appreciate every every listen. And and, uh, I mean, that's kind of cool that when people are, are finding us, they're deciding to listen to more than one episode. Yep. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, and I don't think you and I have actually really told anybody. So we're just letting this organic growth happen. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. But hey, we're still going in the right direction. So that's all that matters. All right, Ben. So let's also move on to our weekly update, where each week we talk a little bit about what we're doing in our financial lives. And I think like every week, Ben, I have no significant updates. Um, so I'm going to kick it over to you because I, I think and I hope you have some updates on selling some sports cards for us. Yeah, this is uh, quickly becoming uh, my section to talk about things. Well, we need to get you to do some more entertaining financial moves. I am uh, very so much the boring about. one. <laughs> uh, so I have been listing a good number of sports cards on eBay uh, throughout this last week. So I, if you've been with us the last episode or two, we did a whole episode on sports card investing. And of course, that inspired me to get back even more into the sports card hobby. Um, so I have got, I think, about 100 different listings on eBay right now that most of them end tonight. Um, we're recording this on Sunday. So I don't have any dollars and cents to to share with you uh, as of Man. today, as of this moment, but we're hoping we get a few sales tonight. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we've got a Tom Brady card that's listed for about a hundred bucks. Um, that's the big ticket item. So we'll uh, we'll see if it sells tonight. And then aside from that, I, I also, you know, both Will and I had a birthday here recently, and I was able to use some of uh, some of the birthday cash to upgrade some of my uh, musical equipment so on the side I, I play in a cover band and uh, I was pretty excited this week to get something that's called a loop uh, will do you have any idea what a loop is I, no aren't, aren't you like a singer or something like what like I, is that I don't no idea I I mean singer play guitar I mean really just you know one, one man rock show Um but the loop allows you to play something, hit a button, and it records it, and then it plays it back at you. So then you can also like sing over top of a guitar riff or 
um, add different instruments in all by yourself. It's kind of what Ed Sheeran does. If you've ever seen an Ed Sheeran uh, performance where he's clicking a whole bunch of things on his pedals and making a bunch of cool stuff happen. So anyways, I was excited. Uh, from a money standpoint, we get paid uh, not very much at these gigs, but maybe with the loop, we'll, uh, we'll get a little more income for, for each show, you know, just up in the quality. So I didn't listen to one word you just said there, Ben. And all I was thinking about was, man, I need to send Ben an invoice for plugging his band here. Uh, I mean, maybe, like, Ben, I feel like you should throw out the name of your band. Maybe you can get a gig here in the Raleigh area that pays a little more. Let's hear it. Yeah, so our band is 5 by 5 As uh, You can check us out on Facebook. That's, that's our number one social media platform. Uh, yeah, we'd love to come play. Uh, so 5 by 5 on Facebook. Check us out. All right, so we we have two things going for Ben now. So if you want any of Ben's sports cards, you can write him at discovermoneypodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to see his band, you search Facebook for 5 by 5 You can contact Ben either either of those two avenues, it seems like. You got it. You got it. Appreciate the plug. Absolutely. Next week, we will plug Triangle Treasure Hunt, which is your most lucrative side gig. So that's probably the one we should be we should actually be worrying about. That's very true. Very true. I have a lot of side gigs, and most of them do not pay very much money, unfortunately. Hey, I don't know. Triangle Treasure Hunt's doing pretty well for you. One day, we still have to break all that down. All right, future episodes. Put it in the bucket. All right, so let's focus on today's episode, though. Um, so as we said, we're tied on today's episode, top five things we used to, we wish we knew. And really, this all stems from a conversation, Ben, that you and I had, where we just think one of the biggest shortfalls in America, and I would assume it's probably not just America, it's probably just culture today, is that nobody teaches you about how to handle your money growing up. Like all of a sudden you become 18 or you graduate college at 22, you start getting a paycheck and then boom, you're just magically expected to understand how to handle money. I remember thinking back, I remember a lot of lessons on Greek, Greek mythology, history, Shakespeare. I don't remember very many lessons on budgets, compounding interest, retirement accounts, any of that stuff that's probably a little bit more applicable to life. And I think it really stems from culturally, we just expect our parents to be teaching us how to take care of money. But the reality is, Ben, I mean, most people's parents are horrendous at taking care of money. I mean, absolutely terrible. I mean, we have a few stats on here, Ben, that a lot of people listening might already know, but 61% of people live paycheck to paycheck. So if you look down your street, three out of every five houses, if they don't get a paycheck that month, they're not paying their mortgage. I mean, that's scary. And then you go even further, 56% of people don't have enough money to cover a $1,000 emergency. So if your car breaks down, you have to go to the shop, you don't even have the cash to be able to pay for that. You're putting it onto a credit card. And again, that's just so scary for me to see that. And like, what's even worse than that, Ben, I think a year ago before the pandemic, I think it was like 65% of people couldn't couldn't handle a $1,000 fund that come up or $1,000 emergency that came up. I mean, I think with all the stimulus checks, that's actually improved a little bit. 
But man, that's just scary stuff, Ben. Um, so really, like, I just, I wish as a culture we did something to better our education of our kind of younger people to make sure they were a little bit more prepared when they got old enough to actually handle that money. Well, I guess the question I would have is, you know, thinking back, I remember in high school taking, I don't know if it was called home ec or life skills, or I had some kind of class like that. I don't know if you did um, as well, but I, I, I remember like, I think we talked about like how to write a check, you know, how to make a, how to make a budget. Um, those were probably, that's probably the extent of what we did for financial training uh, back in high school. And I, you know, as I think about this topic, I mean, it's absolutely right. Like we have a list of five awesome things I wish I would have known. I do think, you know, is it, is it fair to put all of this on, you know, parents or is some of it that maybe we did get a little bit of training and we were high school kids and we just didn't pay attention, you know, like where do you, where do you come down on that? Yeah, I, I think that that second point is probably fair. I think that, yes, there's probably some bias where we just wasn't applicable to us at that time, so we didn't pay as much attention. But I think this is a little bit more seismic than probably what we want to get into right now. But I think, I think that we have a education problem in America to some degree where just I remember getting hit over the head year after year after year, some of the same topics that just aren't applicable in life. And then some of those things that are a little bit more applicable, maybe we just skate over. And as you said, there's one lesson and one class, one semester where it's actually talked about, where maybe there should be a finance class that's part of every year of your education from 13 and beyond or something like that, or just life prep skills. Like, I just think that as technology has become more and more ingrained in what we do, the focus needs to not be around, hey, just memorize random historical facts and things, and let's actually put into application what you need to be successful in life. So I think, yes, a little bit. It's fair to say we probably did get taught more than we remember, but I don't think it was anywhere near as much as we probably should have been. And I think some of it is, you know, who decides what goes into schools for curriculum. And then also, especially from a financial perspective, I think there's a lot of different financial philosophies out there, right? And you have the Dave Ramsey kind of style, uh, you have the investor style, you have the Warren Buffett style, like there's lots of different, you know, people out there with with kind of a philosophy behind them. And, you know, I, I wonder if some of the difficulty in getting basic financial training in schools is that nobody can decide who's right. You know, like, what what is the right path and or do we teach all the paths or you know i think i'm i'm interested as we go through today like kind of to think about it through that mindset of um you know i think we have some great things on here but would everybody agree with them and how does that play out in a school system when it's already so i mean you hear about these debates right i mean most of them are are more about the politically you know charged issues but you know, books and what version of history we teach. Like, it's such a political minefield of what goes into the school system these days that I wonder if that's one of the things that keeps something like this that, you know, should be common sense out. 
Yeah, which I think it could very well. And I, I agree with your point. There's probably a lot of different philosophies out there. And the question is, what is the correct philosophy? And like pretty much everything in life, I'm like down the middle in gray. And I'm like, well, there's no one right way to do almost anything. Uh, but there are some principles that carry over. Like if you can't live on less than you make, you have a problem. If you are using credit card to subsidize your lifestyle at 24% interest, you have a problem. Like, so I think that there are some commonalities that can be taught in schools and it doesn't have to necessarily get into the nuances of necessarily investment philosophies, more just basic financial principles that are going to allow you to be successful throughout, throughout your life. And then you get into the more nuanced stuff. And as you said, maybe you teach multiple topics, multiple philosophies, and then it's up to the individual to make the decision of what works for them. All right, well. We've got five great things on this list of what we wish we would have known. So why don't you uh, start this out here with number one? Yeah, so the first thing that we have on this list is that building wealth is incredibly simple. And when I use the word simple, I don't mean it's easy, but it's simple in the sense that it's not complicated to do. I think Ben and I, you and I have talked about it a lot. We both come from kind of very middle class families. We don't come from wealth. And I think that whether we were told or not, I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly where that came from, but the assumption was always you have the haves and the have nots. And it's only a select group of people that really have the ability to be wealthy. And if you weren't born into that, or if you don't find yourself having an amazing job making $250,000 a year, that being wealthy just isn't for you. And you're just kind of destined to live that middle-class lifestyle where you're living paycheck to paycheck. But in reality, when you actually look at the math and you actually formulate a plan of what it takes to be wealthy, it's not difficult from a complexity standpoint. It's As we talked about earlier, it's living on less than you make, being disciplined, starting early, and then investing a little bit every month. And then over time, that's going to grow to more money than you could ever imagine. And I think those are the things that we really need to instill in people. And I wish someone told me that because when I was 20 years old, I wasn't even thinking about investing because I just assumed that like every dollar that I made had to go back to living. But if someone told me, hey, well, if you save $100 a month at 20 years old, what it, what it could become, like that probably would have blown my mind at that point and had me completely change course of how I was going about my life, opposed to finding it at, what, what did we talk about, Ben, 27, 28 is really when we both got into that. Um, so for me, that's something that's really huge. And I just, I wish that I learned that earlier in, in, earlier in my life. The discipline part is what stuck out to me in what you talked about. And I, I, I'll speak for myself. I know as a high schooler and, and even today, that disciplined um, thinking and action is still hard for me. Um, like, I think that, that that's, that's where, you know, Will, I really, you know, respect and envy you because you are very disciplined in everything you do in life, pretty much. But um, a lot of people struggle with that, and me included. Um, so that was one of the things that stuck out to me in what you said. And, you know, I think... I, I I would love to go back into my high school 
or you know whatever grade and and sit down and listen to some of the things that they were teaching about money if mm. if there was anything to know if this was here and I just didn't listen but you're absolutely right like you know coming from a, a middle class family um you know I just assumed that there was a path in life and you know I was going to go work at a job for 40 years and eventually I was going to hope to retire and that was just kind of how it was going to work um but this idea of in, of investing in general I remember my dad, you know, we opened a checking account when I was, gosh, I don't know, eight years old, 10 years old. So I've had a checking account for, you know, 25 years or something. And that was a good step in the right direction. But if I would have just added in, okay, have a checking account and then also save 50 bucks a month from when I was 10 or 12 or 13 or whatever, when I started working at 14. You know, I would be in such a different place than I am now. So, yeah, it and is. Like, a, I think. Yeah. So I'll say, Ben, but based on what you said, I think that my challenge was yes, I was disciplined, but I also had no direction. So, like, savings has never been a problem for me. Like, I remember being fifteen, sixteen, and having a lot of money at my disposal, just not spending it. But opposed to just having that cash sitting in the bank, if I knew the power of that money and what it could do for me, if I had a little bit of direction, like I just look back and say, where would I be today if I just knew what I knew back then? And I think e- even adding on that, I think that one of the things that I worry about young people is kind of this FOMO lifestyle that like live for today. What is that? YOLO Ben, I think is a saying. I actually don't even know what that st- uh, actually stands for, but I, I, I wrote it on here because I, I hear it all the time and they're just not doing the little things today. And like, I just think so often like you're robbing yourself of your future. And I mean, not, not to throw anybody out, Ben, because you and I know a lot of the same people. So I, I won't use a, a, any names, but not only are Ben and I born three days apart, we also started our first professional jobs like five days apart, or like a week apart or something like that, make, making the exact same amount, um, the exact same amount of money. Um, and Ben was, was not one of these people, but there was probably a handful of others that we all started at the same job at the same time, making the exact same amount of money. And I just remember, Ben, we weren't wealthy by any means. We didn't make a lot of money. But you and I never complained about being poor. But so many of our colleagues were always complaining about not having enough money, how we weren't paid enough. But then I would watch them go to the bar on the weekend and spend $100 on alcohol every single weekend and then complain about being poor. And I'm like, yeah, but you're living like there's no tomorrow. You're not doing the little things. And I think like... The, the Dave Ramsey saying always sticks in my head. Live like no one else today, so tomorrow you can live and give like no one else. Like it's just the little things today turn into an amazing, amazing future. And you just have to be disciplined enough to take advantage of that. Because if you wait until you're 40, which we'll talk about here a little bit later, it's so, so different. And those are things that I just, I implore. If you're listening to this and you're 20 years old, do the little things that we're about to talk about here. That's such an interesting example to me, Will, because I think it, it definitely outlines uh, the difference in, in how a lot of us think. I would also say that I, I think the millennial generation is a lot more excited or a lot more um, puts a lot more weight into experiences and into living life um, you know, to its fullest, maybe than past generations. 
So I do think like that's where it becomes, you know, we haven't, the building wealth is incredibly simple. It is. The math is, the math is simple, but I think that's where it gets complicated in a lot of, of millennials lives is when that simple solution or that simple path to, you know, investing money conflicts with the, you know, social desires of wanting to go out or, you know, wanting to have experiences in their life and, and kind of that, that give and take and finding a balance. Like we hear a lot about balance these days. I don't remember ever really hearing about balance when I was a kid. And I think that the balance that a lot of our parents and grandparents had was, well, their balance was I'd go work 80 hours a week and, you know, as long the balance would be getting three meals or, you know, just making sure they have enough food to, to survive that, that work schedule. Um, and now, you know, we have all sorts of, you know, crazy freedom of work and flexibility and remote work and all this stuff that, that you know, just I, I think we, we're leaning more towards the, you know, wanting to have personal freedom, personal experiences, and, and that comes with a cost. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting topic. But let's let's get into number two. Uh, so number two is talking about the power of compound interest. And this is probably the biggest one on the list for me, Will, is just the what compound interest can do to you, do for you, and how starting at an early age makes such a difference. So when we're talking about compounding interest, we're talking about that, you know, when you invest money uh, in the markets or even in, you know, savings accounts that have a uh, have an interest um, that they accrue, anything that's generating some sort of return, as you put in money every year and over time, it's going to continuously grow and it's going to continuously grow at higher rates because every year the, that interest is compounding on that, that same amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. So if, you know, I think you've got some numbers on here, but if you put in $100 a month, Starting when you're 20 years old, you put it in the market, just invest it in the market with a you know a 10% return, which is is pretty is about the average. It's going to make you a millionaire by the time you retire. A hundred dollars a month, starting when you're 20 years old, right? And 95% of that million dollars is from growth. Because you're only contributing like fifty four thousand right, so the other ninety five percent of that is from the interest compounding year after year yeah. right and then Ben, real quick before you move on to the next one, I think that's what ties back to what you were just saying for point number one is young people care a lot more about experiences than things, and experiences where it drives things, but when you look at that number. If you're 20, 22, whatever the age is that you're starting your full-time job, right? $100 a month is probably not preventing you from having those experiences. So that's why I always say it doesn't have to be one or the other. If you start young enough, it just takes a very little bit and it's going to make a relatively very small impact on your life at that young age, but a huge, huge impact further down the line. Uh, you're you're right. I just don't know if it's that easy. <laughs> like I don't. I, I don't think know it's that, that easy. A hundred dollars a month, Ben. That's all you have to carve out. You graduate college, 
put a hundred dollars a month to the side and then still live your life. My okay, thirty-three year old me sitting here right now, thirty-three year old us. Um, yeah. that seems easy. Eighteen year old me, nineteen year old me, twenty year old me. No way was I thinking about putting a hundred dollars a month away for for retirement. Could I, could I have swung that? I probably could have. It definitely would have made a. I would definitely would have had to make some changes during my college life to do that. But uh, that like it's, that wasn't even on my radar, right? And and maybe that's the problem. Um, that's why we're doing this podcast, Ben. Right. But I think that's, you know, I, I think we see a lot of 20-year-olds or 20-some-year-olds, right, and 30-some-year-olds that start to get this concept, right? And, you know, I think, again, to, to the point of the podcast, this is what we hope we would have known. Um, but I just think back to my college self, and even if I had known it, I don't know that I would have put any action into it. So, mm-hmm. but, all right. And, to your point, so uh, looking back at the numbers, so again, $100 a month when you're 20, you're going to be a millionaire if you continue doing that for the rest of your life. However, if you fall, I like the way that you put that <laughs> this on the, the show notes. For those of let you listening, Ben is reading exa- my words. Let me read this exactly how Will put it. However... What if you fall into the camp that you would want to enjoy your 20s and 30s and say you will start investing later in life? So so I guess the options are you either invest when you're 20 and you have a really miserable uh, life when you're 20 or you you enjoy your life and start this when you're 20s and 30s. I think those are the options, Will. You can correct me if I'm so, wrong. But <laughs> let's pause before we move on. Let, for all of our listeners, let me read that as if I was – let me read it as the way I wrote it. So, however, if you fall into the camp that you really want to just enjoy your 20s and 30s, you're not focusing on investing. You're only focusing on, on living your life. And you say, you know what? I'm going to start investing later in life, and that's when I'm going to focus on things. Here's the difference – between investing starting when you're 20 and investing when you're starting in 40. All right, Ben, you're up. I didn't hear much of a difference in how those were delivered, but that's <laughs> fine. Uh, <laughs> so if you waited, if you wait to start investing until you're 40 years old to get to be a millionaire by retirement age, instead of $100 a month, you will have to invest $780 a month is the stat that Will wanted me to get to. So $780 a month instead of $100 a month, right? So obviously huge difference there. Um, you know, it's still 77% of that money, even at the age of 40, comes from growth. But that's a smaller number than, than the 94% or 95% that would happen if you started when you were 20 years old. So, I, you know, I do think, Will, that's the, the compound interest is the biggest thing I wish I would have known because as your first point was, it is simple. If you can somehow commit to 100 bucks a month starting at 20 or 18 or whatever, somewhere in that range, that will radically shift your financial future, right? Radically shift it. And I think if somebody, you know, I think somebody explained it to me like that, like actually showed me, okay, when I'm... At 60 years old or 65 years old, if I can do this now, 
what my life could look like or how, what my total net worth could look like as opposed to waiting until I was 40. You know, I, I do think that that could have made uh, – that would have been the best argument to, to change my disciplined or undisciplined lifestyle back when I was 20 years old. Yeah. And I think what those numbers been, what we're not trying to do is say a million dollars is the magic bullet. And at 20 years old, you have to start investing a hundred dollars. That's not what we're saying. All we're trying to do is just paint a picture to show, okay, if you can start young, it just, it doesn't take a life changing amount at that age to make a huge, huge difference later in life. I mean, if you look at the difference between investing starting at 20 or investing starting at 40, you basically have to invest eight times as much per month to get the same return. And you still get, what did you say, 77% of what you end up retiring with if you start investing at 40 is still from growth, which is still a great, great number, but it's not 95%. So that's all we're trying to hit home here. So, Will, that's number two is compound interest. And I think it's, you know, it's incredible power. Why don't you take us through number three? Yeah, so number three is kind of the controversial one, probably depending on what camp you're in. Um, But number three states, a college degree is not a golden bullet. And I think this is something that's probably changed over time a little bit. Because growing up, and it probably was true for our parents, Ben, but I think what so many of us heard It's just the next step after graduating high school is to go to college, get a degree, just find a degree that you're interested in because it doesn't really matter what the degree is in. All that matters is that you have that piece of paper at the end and that's going to pretty much set you up for life. And I know for me, Ben, and I won't speak for you, that's the way that I approached college. I said, you know what? I'm interested in working out, exercise. Let me do a degree in that. I didn't really think about the repercussions after the fact. And I didn't really have any family that was helping pay for it. So I didn't even think about the investments aspect of it. I just assumed at the end, it was going to take care of itself. Um, In fact, one thing that will stick with me forever, um, that I will not, I will make sure that I don't do is a family member once told me, Will, you don't need to worry about those student loans that are, that are piling up, because that's just like having a car payment when you're done. It's It's just a part of life. And like now me, 33-year-old 33, 33 me, I just cringe whenever I think about that. Um, and luckily, I was able to pay off my student loans relatively quickly, but it could have been way, way worse. Like I know people that are graduating with $100,000 plus in student loans because they just don't think about the repercussions. So I think that if I were to go back in time, I would look at my college degree much more like an investment and what is the ROI that I'm going to get after that four years? And is that degree that I'm choosing going to set me up for a future career path that's going to ultimately pay for itself? And that's the way that I would look at it and the way that I absolutely did not look at it at the time. Um, and honestly, that's probably one of the biggest regrets that I have in life is if I could go back and do it again, I would do a whole different degree. I would go about college completely different than I did now. And opposed to looking at it as a four-year experience, which I think so many people do at this stage, I think you have to look at it as a four-year investment in yourself. I, I think this topic will, uh, it goes back to the experience piece, right? It goes back to our kind of balance between an experience and a financial investment, right? And I, and I think 
I think back to my college time and, you know, I would not trade my college experience for, for just about anything, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade um, the, the people I met and the relationships that I have from my college experience for anything. That being said, I have a completely different perspective on college now as a 33-year-old than I do I did when I was 18. And I, I do think that a lot of people are getting themselves into a very dangerous spot financially because of college loans. And com- combining the college loans with a degree that's not going to make them any money. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's probably the worst spot that you can be. Um, I think for, the lesson on, on my end, and I needed college, I needed you know, student loans to get me through college. And um, I did have some help from my parents and I'm very grateful to, to them for that. Um, but, you know, I remember getting the FAFSA and getting to um, mark your student loan requests every year, or every semester. And, you know, for mine, I, I think it was the FAFSA or it was, I don't know, some, some student loan document. But for mine, you got to put in an amount that on that semester, they would pay for tuition and you would cover that and cover room and board, whatever the student loans were covering for your expenses. But you could also put in an additional amount as just free cash that you could take out in a loan that they would give to you in a check, right? That would go into your mm-hmm. bank account. Um, do, do you remember this too? Yep. Yep. Okay. I, I definitely had just banks of money just sitting in my bank account whenever the FAFSA check came that I had no yeah. intention of using in any one way. Yeah. So, you know, I think the the biggest key for me is that, the, you know, those aren't just bonuses. That's not a bonus check, right? Like that's actually a loan that you have to take out. Uh, so I think, you know, I definitely would have approached those differently because I think every every semester I was taking out an additional $1,000, $1,500 and a lot of that had to cover, or at least I thought, had to help me cover rent uh, because I was making minimum wage, you know, working a student job at the university, and it only lets you make work 20 hours a week. And I think I was getting paid 650 back then. Um, but so I needed that money to cover, you know, rent and my bar tabs. Um, so the... <laughs> You know, but I think I would approach that very differently because, you know, I'm still paying that money off um, at 33. So, you know, I think to your point, there's death, you know, even if you want to go the four year or uh, (coughs) five year for me, uh, college route, you know, there's, there's smarter things that you can do to make sure you're, you're still setting yourself up in a, in a good spot. And I think those things would be really paying attention to your bonus or to, to the student loans and how those work, and make sure that you're not taking out more money than you need. Um, Another one would be considering altering that four-year, five-year experience and going to a community college or, um, you know, a trade school or something for a few of those years to to lower the cost. Another one is really thinking through that major and what can you do with that major when you leave college, right? Because so many majors are just kind of general education um, you know, and there's not a lot that you can do with it afterwards. So really thinking through, you know, th- that, because that may not actually alter your, you know, the fun of being in college, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's just what classes you're taking while you're there. Um, so to your point, well, I mean, definitely, I think college is a, I, you know, I, I would recommend a college experience to, to people who want it. Because uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, you know, for me, those are the best four years probably of my life, five years of my life, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. But um, there's a lot smarter things financially to, to think through as you're going through it. Yeah. And I don't think either one of us are saying that college is a bad thing and that you shouldn't go to college. I think what we're saying is just be smart about how you do it. Do think about about the financial aspect, both in the moment of what you're spending for it and then what it's going to return later in life. And I think that, I mean, colleges, let's be honest, Ben, they are amazing marketers at that college experience. But to your point, if you didn't go to college and didn't have that experience, it just would have been replaced with something else and you wouldn't have known the difference and you would have had an amazing different experience if you went to a junior college for two years and then transferred into it. Like, so I think that there's just so many other ways to go about it. And I, I know for me, one of the driving factors for me going to four-year four college wasn't that I was thinking about the degree. I was thinking about football Saturdays. Like that was what was being sold to me, to be honest with you. And I said, well, you know what? Should I care about spending $30,000 a year? Because I get to go into Lane Stadium at, at Virginia Tech every Saturday. Like that's what I was thinking about. And that's just unfortunately not the right way to think about it. And luckily for both of us and probably for a lot of people, we, we, we have been able to make it work and we're still extremely successful. We definitely would not be sitting in these chairs today talking to each other right now if we didn't have that exact experience we had in those four-year, those four-year colleges we, we went to. But there's a lot of people that they're just really, really struggling in dealing with the long-term financial implications of their college decisions. And those are the stories that just really hurt me. And really the last thing that I'll say on this topic, student loans are not forgivable in bankruptcy. So if you get backed up against a wall, that's like the one debt that's still going to be there for you no matter what you do. And that's really sad because unfortunately, that's just the world we live in right now. Well, maybe student loans will just all be uh, forgiven uh, from the federal government here soon. We'll see. That would change things pretty drastically. So That, that, that would, and I'll be glad I sacrificed for um, eight years to pay mine off. Right. <laughs> all right, Ben, let's talk about number four. All right, number four has to do with credit cards. And you know, I found a few stats that the median credit card debt for an American family, median, debt is $2,700. The average debt for an American family right now is over Mm $6,000, right? So the average American family is keeping, you know, has a credit card balance that is earning interest. You know, it's 18%, 20%, 25%, et cetera, every month because they can't pay off the balance, right? So I think that what I wish I would have known, like I remember I got a credit card, I, I think sometime in high school maybe for emergencies and then definitely have one through college and have had one since. And, you know, I, I did not, um, well, I, I did not always pay it off, um, especially during college and just depending on kind of the season where we were in. Um, whether or not I was getting my bonus check from uh, my student loans or not that month, um, I may or may not have a credit card balance. But it, you know, it, to me, back in college, 
if I had a little bit of credit card, you know, debt on the balance, that, that didn't mean much to me, right? Oh, it's like, you know, I got, a, I got a few thousand dollars here. Okay, well, I'll pay that off at some point. But the ramifications of that never came into my head of realizing that I was paying 18%, 20%, 25% every month on that money. So I think, you know, what I wish I would have known was the proper way to use a credit card when I was young. And, you know, what that looks like or should look like, at least in my mind, and I'm going to guess your mind will, is if you're going to use a credit card, a credit card can be a great tool, right? It could be a great tool to have access to funding. It makes life a lot easier than carrying cash around. It's safer to use. Um, so it could be, a, you know, it's a lot, it's going to be a tool in that respect. It also can build you credit, right, that you can use to get a loan for a house or a car or something down the line. And then it also has credit card rewards, right? And those are have gotten a lot more popular over the years. I don't remember big rewards on my card in college. Um, but now, you know, you could get 2 3 4% on your credit card rewards, um, you know, just for using a credit card these days, which is, you know, it, it adds up. Um, so it's, a credit card has some good benefits if you use it properly, but that, using it properly means that you should pay off the balance at the end of every month, right? So, you know, I looked at a credit card in college as, well, I don't have any money in my bank account and I, you know, want to go out this weekend. So I guess I'm going to use the credit card this weekend or, you know, I had a flat tire. Well, I guess I'm going to use the credit card. Right. And it was just, okay, well, this is what I do when I don't have enough money in my bank accounts. And then hopefully I can pay it back at some point. Uh, And that's a dangerous place to be. And I think, you know, again, $6,000 is the average family credit card debt in the U.S. right now. And that is just a, you know, it's a big burden on on everyone. So I think I wish I would have known how to use a credit card properly uh, back back in those back, back when I was 20 or 18. What about you, Will? Yeah, so credit cards are one that I struggle with because, yes, like the, the way that we said this makes complete sense. Credit cards are a tool that must be used wisely. Of course, I wish people understood that. But the reality of the situation is 52% of Americans carry a credit card balance from month to month. Over half of people that have a credit card are carrying a balance at 18, 20, 24 plus percent interest every single month. And like what I'll say to that is if you carry a balance, you need to chop up your credit card and you you just need to never use it. I use credit cards. I put everything that I buy on a credit card. Um, I have like a 2% everything. Um, and then I have like a 5% that I use in different quarters and things of that nature. Um, and I think that if you can use a credit card safely, 100%, it would be silly not to use it. Um, but if you're someone who just, you can't fundamentally stop yourself from spending more than you actually pay off each month, then then you just shouldn't use one. Um, a, what is it called? Metaphor that I hear sometimes that someone says is credit cards are, are, are like a chainsaw. Like you need to use them with respect. And if you can't use it with respect, you just shouldn't touch it. And that's kind of my philosophy. I'm actually a little bit sort of in the same camp as you've been, maybe slightly different in the sense that I actually wish that I got introduced to credit cards earlier in life. 
Um, I don't think I got my first credit card until I was, I think in grad school. Like I think I opened up my first credit card at like 23 or 24 or something like that. Um, before that, I just used a debit card all the time because I was scared to use credit cards. And I think that if you're disciplined and you don't have problems spending more money than you have, then you should absolutely be using those credit cards. Because as, as Ben, you said, a, another unfortunate reality of life is you need a credit score, a credit score to buy cars, to buy houses. So like you need to have that good relationship with it. But yeah, it's just, it's a slippery slope for me, Ben. Uh, when you see 52% of people can't do it, do it right. So that's one that I struggle with, to be honest with you. Well, what would you tell, or what would your advice be? You know, I think, I, I remember getting, a, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I, I know I had a credit card, I think in high school, and, and it was designed for emergencies, right? Like if I mm-hmm. was stuck on the side of the road and I had to call a tow truck or, you know, something, um, I think that's, I think that, that's initially why I had one. And I think that, I think a lot of kids, I don't, maybe that's, maybe not in high school anymore. I don't know what age, but I think a lot of kids get a, a credit card from their parents initially for that reason. So, you know, what, do you have any advice? Like, you know, you, you have, <laughs> you have two kids when, yep. You know, at what age do you see them getting a credit card? Would you ever give them one for emergency purposes? How would you go about doing that? Yeah. So I I think that that's a multi-layered question. I think the, the first off, an emergency for a 17 year old is I need Taco Bell on a Friday night. Like that's what it becomes, unfortunately. And I had those friends in high school that their parents had a credit card for them and it was only supposed to be used for this or that. And they were just using it for everything. Like, I, I think it comes down to knowing your kid. And I think that as, as my children get older, I think part of that is being a parent and instilling those philosophies and that knowledge in them at a young age. Um, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I'm like, I'm going to start teaching my kids about money as soon as I can and really teaching them the philosophy of delayed, delayed gratification where, hey, if you don't do something now, it's going to result in more better things later. Like I, I already have it planned out. It's like for my son, he's two and a half. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start putting one goldfish on his plate. I'm going to tell him, if you don't eat that goldfish until you're done eating, I'm going to give you five goldfish. And then see, <laughs> and then see if he can not do it. Like, those are things that I'm already thinking through. And my wife thinks I'm insane. But I'm like, like it's all about instilling that knowledge at, at an early age. But if he turns out at 15 years old that I think that I can't trust him to actually use a credit card correctly, I, I just wouldn't give him one. So I, th- I think it's just part of being a parent um, and actually being a parent and not just letting your kids do whatever they want. Um, so that's kind of my my philosophy. And I'm sure I sound crazy when I talk about the goldfish story. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's hilarious because it's it's. Like exactly how I expect you to parent. <laughs> like, uh, so I I think it's hilarious. All right, so well, we're on to uh, the the final. Uh, we're on to number five of what we wish we knew. The final point. Um, do you want to talk about this one? Do you want me to do it? Yeah, I can jump in, and then we can kind of kick it over to you because I think that you and I both have very similar thoughts on this one. Um, although you're a little bit better at it than me, to be honest with you. And number five is just the idea of financial freedom and really putting it out there to us as being a little bit younger that 
financial freedom is something attainable. And the only way to do life isn't just working a nine to five W-2 job. That you can do the little things to set yourself up to eventually be able to be in control of your own future and then hopefully not have to have a normal job. And honestly, that's what Ben does really, really well. And that's what we're doing here with this podcast with our, our, our 12 listeners. Our goal is to one day is to have these different side gigs that turn into full-time gigs that we can wake up when we want to wake up and we're in control of our financial life opposed to letting our financial life be in control of us and dictating what we do day to day. It goes back to what I said earlier where I always thought it was the haves and have-nots, but why can't anyone be part of those haves? Ben, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, very similar to you. I think the traditional way that, you know, I remember as a kid, I thought my life was going to work out was I'm going, you know, get, get through high school, get a diploma, get accepted into college, go to college, hopefully graduate, and then get a job and work that job for 30 or 40 years and eventually have some sort of retirement that was this thing way off in the future that you know, I didn't really know anything about, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, Ben, right? Well, and uh, there's not. And I would say that, again, you know, I think we've talked about um, shifts in um, generations. I, I think this is, a, this is a huge one, right? Like, I, I think I've shared this on the podcast before. When I got my first job at a university a state university, right? My, my dad, uh, one of the things he was the most excited about was that I would be in a state retirement plan, right? That I would be able to, you know, 30 or 40 years, however long, if I, you know, if I stayed there for that long, I would have a great retirement. And that was one of the most exciting things that, that you know, he, <laughs> to him about, about the job. I think having a secure retirement and a pension plan and all of those things was such a key part of life for a lot of people uh, in, you know, the past generations. Like that was the dream was, was just to have the security of, of getting a retirement when, when you got done working. And I think now, you know, a lot of millennials are looking at life very differently. And I think, you know, as you explained, you know, just there's different paths to getting to, what you would consider financial freedom. You know, I think one really, you know, probably extreme side is you have the financial independence, retire early, fire uh, kind of group that, you know, they're really about, I'm trying to get to my retirement savings number as soon as I possibly can to retire early, right? And then you figure out what retire early means. I'm not necessarily in that camp, but I think there's lots of different paths to make money that don't involve working that nine to five W2 job. You can start a business, you can invest in real estate, um, you can just have a high savings rate and invest in yourself and kind of that retire, that, that fire style. Um, you know, my mom has her own business and has now for a lot, a number of years um, as, a, as a counselor. And, you know, she, I think seeing her path to financial security has been, has been pretty awesome. Um, but, you know, I wish I would have thought about things in that perspective from an early age. Cause I think, you know, I, I was, I was messing around with sports cards and, you know, I always been, you know, had side hustles and some of that, but 
I never really had the mindset, okay, this could turn into my full-time job, or this could be the way that I fund, you know, my student loans, or this could be the way that, you know, I, I build a nest egg for retirement. And that's very attainable these days. And I think that, you know, we're seeing millennials work differently and have different desires and want that balance of work and play. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wonder if we're going to start to see some of this shift into schools more because that we are in a new generation of teachers that a lot of them are millennials and, and maybe thinking the same things we do. But yeah, it's, it's a, I think it's a great ending point in my mind for this topic because it's really just about perspective and it's about just understanding the universe of options that we have as, you know, as humans and as Americans and, and there, there's a lot of options out there. Yeah. I think that the way that young people think about it now, or at least some young people, I think you and I, Ben, is we're look at retirement, not from a sense of I want to retire and I want to sit on the couch when I'm 60 years old. I want to retire from the day to day and I want to retire to something that I'm in control over. And I think those are the things that is a little bit different of today's age. Millennials, I think, Ben, we have to admit we're the old people when we say that. I think, what is it, Gen Z now is the young people. Um, And they're probably thinking about it even more than us. So, yeah, 100% agree with you. I think that that's a great way to end. But really thinking about financial freedom and thinking about how you can take control of your life is something that I think that we both wish that we thought about earlier. Yeah, so, Will, I think, you know, Looking at these five topics, I, I, I think these are all great you know, things that we wish we knew. You know, it sounds like you're already starting to instill these with the goldfish technique uh, with your kids. <laughs> and, I, you know, I hope to see that, that schools and parents are, are putting these into action, um, you know, because I think it's, it's something that can definitely make a difference in everybody's lives. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Ben, I think that was a great episode. I think that concludes episode number 14. For all of everyone listening, we thank you and Discover Money is out.